0: Well, today we're talking with Peter S. Williams about, I guess, apologetics as serving. I mean, S doesn't stand for serving in your name, does it? No, it's it's Stephen uh, in my case. And we'll be talking about um, Cinderella and New Atheism and washing uh, curry bowls in a hotel in Portsmouth. But first, um, so you've written this book... Uh, Skeptic's Guide to Atheism, is that right? That's right. Yeah. And uh, why did you feel that book needed to be written? Uh,
1: because of the rise of the, the so-called new atheist mm-hmm. or neo-atheist uh, movement. Um, I think they've done a, a service, in a sense, to um, Christians interested in um, uh, rationally, persuasively communicating their view to people. Uh, because they put arguing about God and the place of religion in society back on the cultural agenda, back on the table. Uh, I think the worst possible position really is one of apathy Mm -hmm. towards God uh, or the gospel. Uh, And now at least we have a section of society that's uh, voriferously uh, keen on arguing against uh, Christianity Mm. and belief in God and so on. And that's uh, for the population at at large put the issue back on the table as a matter for dinner conversation and magazine articles and books and Mm. radio discussions and all all sorts of things. So, they've opened up the issue and I wanted to, um, as a Christian who's been trained in philosophy, Mm. um, my university background is in philosophy, I wanted to put something on the table showing why I thought that their uh, arguments uh, really didn't hold uh, water.
0: Okay, so... You're philosophically trained writing a philosophical book mm. against other academics. Now sorry this is the whole problem with apologetics. Mm. It's just clever people in, you know, jackets writing angry books at each other. How would you defend? Uh, well, certainly certainly, some
1: of the books uh, can be angry, and I hope that doesn't apply uh, to mine uh, at all. I try to be very uh, courteous and to um, display those uh, uh, character qualities, those virtues, that the, the classic biblical verse about apologetics, which is um, 1 Peter Uh, Chapter 3, verse 15, uh, talks about always being ready to give an, uh, an apologia, the word in the Greek is, from which we get the word apologetics, a reason for the hope that you have. And then Peter immediately goes on and says, do this with gentleness and respect. It's respect for for God and a gentleness towards the person that you're in conversation with, to whom you're giving a reason. Uh, And I think that is absolutely key, that uh, as you were mentioning at the beginning, apologetics is an act of service, both both to God as as his ambassador, as we're called Mm -hmm. in, in the Bible, but also to the person with whom we're discussing, that we're trying to serve them. Yes, we're trying to show people who aren't Christians, that the Christian view of things is more rational right. than a non-Christian view. Uh, also, that it's it's more morally good, that it's more beautiful and attractive right. um, than our alternative spiritualities are. Um, uh, so we're trying to win the argument in that sense, but not in such a way that we lose the person. Right. Uh,
0: so, attractive serving I mean you know going back to Cinderella again cinders mm. uh, sweeping away in the great so if apoly is a bit like Cinderella um, serving who are these ugly sisters then what are the alternatives
1: it's uh, useful there are two ugly sisters because there are uh, two um, uh, extreme alternatives okay. to uh, what I think is the biblical Cinderella middle ground here yep. uh, on the one hand you have ugly sister a um, who would be uh, simply interested in winning the argument at all costs Uh in uh, purely focusing on intellectual uh, rational argumentation Uh, it's all about is is the Christian view uh, true and is it rational and can I argue for that Mm -hmm. Uh, now I, I think that's useful in as far as it goes but it's, it's uh, ugly in that it's not uh, taking into account the whole person, the, the nature of servanthood, the trying to win the person for Christ, uh, as well as win uh, the argument. Uh, ugly Sister B, on the other extreme, I think, uh, is an equally uh, unbiblical uh, approach to things when you look at the way Jesus and the disciples handle this uh, in the New Testament. Uh, is a sister who's simply interested in in kind of just tell people what to believe just tell them the gospel as it were Mm. and say to them just believe don't don't think about it don't ask questions Um, don't uh, grapple with your doubts, uh, just believe and sort of summon up some sort of act of of heroic willpower to believe something. Um, It's a a view of faith which um, people in the New Atheist movement I think very rightly criticise, but time and time again you'll see people like Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins saying things like faith means believing without having any reason to, or believing in the face of evidence to the contrary. Uh, And that is a profoundly unbiblical I think mm. definition of faith uh, faith means trust in something that you, that you believe is true in, in the case of Christian faith it's trust in someone mm. who you think is truth, the way the truth of the life is Christ said of okay. himself
0: now in my cartoon imagination I've got one sister with an enormous head and no heart or small heart, and the other sister with a very small head and, and a very large heart, yeah. and ugly in their different ways and so if you want to develop more of a Cinderella type mm, of mm. apologist, um, how would you do that? I mean, how have you yourself grown to become more seven-hearted and mm. whole person? Uh,
1: sure. it, it started for me in terms of thinking about defining the term spirituality oh. uh, it's kind of a buzzword, okay. uh, and particularly in the educational uh, world at the moment right. um, but it was left very undefined and often defined in contradictory ways and so on uh, in the educational world mm-hmm. that's where I started thinking uh, about this uh, and it struck me one day that, that Jesus' reply to the, the question about the greatest command where he says love God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your strength mm. was his particular way of filling out what's actually a, a generic structure or definition of a spirituality. Mm. The spirituality, it is your, your mind, your world view, as we sometimes say, how you think about things, the basic answers that you give to the big okay. questions. But it's also coupled with your heart, your attitude okay. towards things. And I would say that the... Attitude meaning... Attitude, meaning attitude your, the way that you um, kind of relate to like something. Like or dislike. Liking it. Or dislike, but more than just an emotional okay. reaction. It would include your emotions, but it would also include your will, right. your decision deciding to trust mm-hmm. in someone whom you think is trustworthy um that would be a kind of good definition of faith But mm. it's the, this combination of, of mind and heart mm. is being talked about and then uh, what for example james talks about is works that's then your actions your doing things your strength which doing things out of that um, mind and heart spirituality which leads to behaving and acting in a certain way in the world what sort of ways are you thinking what are you... well for example obviously if, I, if you don't believe that there is a god yeah. or you believe that there's a god that you hate him like yeah. the demons do uh, you are unlikely to engage in the activities of praying God, or giving your money to the church, right. or going and serving someone in Christ's name. Okay. But if you do believe that there is a God, you do believe that Christ is who he said he was, and you love him, hmm. and you trust him, and you're thankful to him for what he's done for you, that will very naturally and organically lead you to uh, wanting to behave Mm-hmm. in a certain way, adopting certain uh, practices in life and so on, going to church say, or praying or, and so on
0: So in your own life you've tried to develop this Christian spirituality where you're loving God with your heart and your mind and with your strength. That's so. right and I think that's fed
1: into then a broader understanding of, of what's going on in apologetics Right, because I think what's going on in apologetics is that we have our Christian spirituality mhm. And non-Christians have their non-Christian spirituality. And we're uh, inviting them to move from their non-Christian spirituality and to adopt a Christian, a Christ-centered spirituality. Okay. Um, so, yes, we do want to tell them what, the, what truth claims we're making mm. uh, at the mind level and defend those and so on. But we also want to present to them uh, the beauty of Christ and mm. make uh, their hearts long for him, long for someone who uh, knows all about them and yet still loves them and is prepared to die for them, mm. and so on. Yeah, that's very attractive uh, to make them see a Christian way of life. That if you follow Christ uh, as a disciple uh, and you you try and adopt the spirituality that he was asking us to come into, then that's actually a, a good way of life, mm. uh, and so on, um, and so. In all of those different areas, again, we are defending Christianity as being true, yes, Mm. but also good and beautiful uh, in terms of the the three classical values. I mean, St. Paul would have been very uh, down with this, I think. Um, It's certainly, you can look at his approach to um, evangelism in places like Athens Mm -hmm. in Acts chapter 17, Seems very much to be embodied there, and um, when he's talking about if anything is good or noble, uh, uh, worthy of praise, mm. think on these things. He's talking not just about the value of truth, mm. but the value of things that are that are good and beautiful in and of themselves.
0: Okay, now no, I like this, the sound of this. But can you give us some examples of how you've grounded this in practice? Any situations, scenarios, stories to tell? Um.
1: Sure, I mean, part of, uh, I do kind of various speaking Mm -hmm. events for universities, uh, churches, and so on, and I might be engaged in, say, uh, presenting, defending a particular argument for believing in in God. and I don't just want to present them with an intellectual argument mm. I want to also present the people with something that connects in with their hearts. Mm. Now, that's very easy to do. For example, you're doing uh, the moral argument argument for god hmm. because i think that's one of the arguments for god that, that connects with people's everyday felt experience okay. um
0: go on then what is the moral argument oh
1: very simply the, mor- the moral argument would be uh, the claim that there are objective moral values that okay. is moral values that are the kind of thing that we discover in reality rather right. than the kind of thing that we invent uh-huh. um uh, and you combine that claim with the claim that there couldn't be such objective moral values unless there were a god. Mm. Um, uh, Actually, uh, many uh, atheists... Uh, of different types will accept both of those premises you just won't find any who accept both of them at the same time uh, because if you accept both of those premises at the same time they necessarily lead to the conclusion that well there, then there is a God uh-huh. who is uh, the ground the source of these objective moral values that we experience um, and that's something that I think connects with people's daily experience and Mm. and it's an argument that starts connecting in with people's questions about the meaning and purpose of life and so on and the way in which you can contrast Um, and I've done various presentations by mainly quoting from from atheist Hmm. thinkers looking at these themes and showing here are are atheists who say if there is no god then there are no objective moral values then life has no objective meaning Mm. to it value then life has no objective given purpose which is a good one for us to pursue and, and so on
0: Paint us a picture where you've had this discussion uh, in reality. Well, I was recently um, engaged in a debate
1: okay. uh, at Imperial College, London, right. uh, hosted by the Christian Union there. Hi, guys. And uh, that was a debate against a, a philosopher from the British Humanist Association okay. a I called P- uh, Peter Cave. Um, and he was uh, very interesting because in his uh, one of his books that I read uh, on humanism, he's very clear that he accepted the existence of objective moral values Mm. or at least in some places in his book he seemed to accept the existence of objective moral values because then when he came on to talking about the meaning and purpose of life and so on he would say things about the absurdity of life and how that you know we're tempted to think that humans are special and have value but really we don't and we just sort of have to accept that and embrace that but at least in places he was very clear he agreed that there are objective moral values so I thought great he's giving me one Premise of this moral argument—that mm. means I can
0: concentrate on, on the second one, okay. and so on. Well, let's just focus on the second one because I've had conversations with friends who say, "Yeah, I do feel some things just are right and are wrong." But can't that just sort of just be, you know, written into the universe like a word in Brighton Rock? Why do you need uh, yeah. any kind of god to, to tell you that? Well, right. of course, if it's written into the
1: universe, you're, you're already using an analogy that, that begs the
0: question: Who wrote it into mm.
1: the universe? How you know? How come it's it's there. Um, if you admit that objective moral values exist, you kind of start asking what kind of thing are they? Mm. How do you start to describe what qualities does, does an objective moral value have? Mm-hmm. And how do you explain the existence of such a thing? So I'd focus on aspects such as an objective moral value seems to be something that obligates us. We're obligated to behave and not to behave in certain ways. an ought. Yes, there's this okay. sense of incumbency, a sort right. of a responsibility, an obligation okay. to behave. But can you explain an obligation by reference to something that's not personal, that's impersonal? Can I be obligated to a chunk of matter? Hmm. Or something that's not a person? Sure, right. I can only be obligated to, to a personal reality. Okay. But if there is a, an objective moral obligation... That transcends individuals, you and me, us, our society, what you know, whatever we happen to think about it, mm. is an objective moral fact. So even if we thought, you know, that that killing small children for fun was 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 a great idea, mm. and we all decided that that was that was the case, and we all, um, you know, felt that it was the case, or managed to hypnotize ourselves into feeling that that was right, and we enacted laws that said that that's a jolly good thing to do, mm. then nonetheless that we would be wrong, we would be mistaken profoundly about. This because there's an objective moral fact which is that we're obligated not to torture small children just for the fun of it
0: mm.
1: but but to whom do we owe that obligation mm. who is obligating us well very quickly it's got to be a personal source of that obligation right. but a personal source of a moral obligation that transcends you me us our decisions our feelings it's an objective Fact out there, so a, a transcendent, objective source of a moral obligation
0: hmm. is a transcendent moral. Person. Yeah,
1: yeah, a personal transcendent reality. It's beginning to sound quite a bit like, at least part of what people mean by hmm. God.
0: So. You were, pres- or at least discussing this yeah. argument in Imperial College. Now, in what sense was that serving anybody? Wasn't that just, you know, a couple of big heads <laughs> talking about this, that, and the other? Is that service?
1: Uh, well, I think one thing that a debate like that does is is gives an opportunity for Christians to invite non-Christian friends along. And we I mean, knew from the audience size that there were non-Christians there. Mm-hmm. From the questions in Q and A time, mm-hmm. that there were non-Christians there. Uh, uh, and it brings that issue of truth, mm-hmm. yes, to the to the fore in that relationship. But I'm I'm really there hoping that. Uh, in a sense by my service here I'm, I'm enabling Christians to better serve their friends in an ongoing relationship of, of of being ambassadors for Christ and loving those other people in the name of Christ um, so I'm uh, in a sense just a small um, uh, stepping stone on the way of someone's journey uh, and they're being guided in that journey I hope by a loving Christian friend yeah. and they're in a sense they'll be assessing Christianity, not just in terms of the intellectual you know, art banter that goes in the front of the hall, mm. but by the lifestyle, the character um, of their friend, they'll be judging mm. uh, me on those things as well, not just my arguments, they'll be judging my, my, what Aristotle called the ethos of the, the presenter. Um, my character, do I come across as a uh, uh, someone who knows what he's talking about and isn't putting, trying to pull the wool over, do I feel like a used car salesman when I'm making these arguments or do I seem uh, like a sort of chap who knows what he's going on about and so mm. on, um, but I think even bigger impact will be uh, those Christian friends, but it, but it gives an, an in to the discussion and in, in terms of getting kind of um, existential about this and saying we're not just kind of playing with, with you know, intellectual word games here. It was fascinating to me. One of the questions from the audience was a gentleman who, who stood up and he said, well, I, you know, I don't believe in objective moral values. I think it's all subjective. But on your view, wh- wh- what is it about God, in your view, that grounds these objective moral values? You know, is it just that he's bigger than us? He's more powerful? Ah. You know, is it sort of the law of the jungle playing here? God gets to tell us what to do because he's bigger, kind of thing. Uh, and I, I used that as a teaching uh, opportunity in part because I said to the gentleman, now, of course, it's tempting to reply to you that since you don't believe that there are any objective moral values, you don't believe that I have any objective obligation to seriously consider your question, to bother giving you a reply that's courteous and well thought out or anything like this, Mm. you know. What you're actually doing by rejecting objective moral values is is, is undermining the whole process of us having an intellectual discussion. The intellect and, and questions of morality go hand in hand. They're not really separable issues. But since I do believe in objective moral values, I will actually give you a serious, you know, thought, uh, courteous answer to this question. Mm. Uh, and I, I talked about, it. you know, it's not the fact that God's more powerful than us. It, it, the ground of objective moral values is not God's power, but God's character. God is love, as the Bible says, and Mm. uh, the philosopher Plato would have said God is the form of the good. Mm. It is his necessary, essential, unchanging character, which is the the ground and source of these objective moral values. Mm. Um, So I gave him an answer to the question, but I tried to use it to reinforce and to engage him in thinking, what what am I doing when I I say I can escape from this argument if I simply deny that there are objective moral values? Mm. Well, yeah, of course. If you're willing to go there, you can escape the the conclusion of the argument. But is that too high a price to pay to escape the conclusion of the argument? which is the bigger problem, having to believe that there are objective moral values or having to believe that there's a god of some kind? Um, It seems to me if, if you reject objective moral values, you're also rejecting um, yeah, intellectual discourse at all, you're putting yourself beyond the conversation in a sense, you're sort of um, sticking your fingers in your ears and going la la la
0: mm. as so, opposed to obeying an obligation to seek the truth, yes, and to be rational and, right. and so on now, so we're talking apologetics as serving with Peter S. Williams, now I mentioned at the very beginning about um, cleaning curry pots in <laughs> Portsmouth Partly because I thought it was an interesting story. Describe that to us and let's see if we can turn it into a closing metaphor. <laughs> we'll see where we go with this. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, this was uh, during one of the summer holidays in my uh, first university days. Uh, and I worked for a staffing agency back in uh, Portsmouth, where I come from. And I was uh, on the hottest day of the year that summer at the back of a, a hotel kitchen, uh, washing up uh, Curry uh, preparation bowls that were about as big as your sink at home in uh, a sink that's about as big as your bath (laughs) um, all day, uh, sweating uh, like a pig. I can tell you it was very, very hot, and to be in a kitchen in a day like that doing. Uh, A hard uh, manual job, trying to scrub these pots clean of curry. Mm. Uh, Yes, wasn't the best work experience of my life, but it's certainly character developing all that. Mm.
0: And have you been, you know, polishing your arguments or Mm. or or cleaning your rhetoric ever since?
1: constantly. I mean, both both jobs are an act of of service. Okay. Uh, Both are are good things to do. They're, Mm -hmm. They're necessary tasks that that we're called called to. Um, uh, in life uh, you know, some of us might concentrate more on certain jobs than, than others yeah. um, but all of us do as the Bible says whatever we do we do it uh, well, do it as we're doing it unto the Lord mm. um, we try and uh, display the character of Christ uh, as his ambassadors in everything that we do, be that um, scrubbing uh, curry pots or uh, doing apologetical uh, arguments in a debate or one on one
0: Thank you. Well, thank you for serving us today through talking to us, uh, Peter S.
1: Williams. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.